Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're choosing to listen to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on Hawk Fanatic. We're happy that you did. Um, have a lot to go through again today, as we have had uh, throughout uh, the time we've done this now, Scott. I don't even remember when we started this. Back in, it had to have been August or September. We're, we're cruising along now. Yeah, yeah, it was it was in sometime in the fall, and uh, yeah, I mean it's just been really busy. I mean we had that six month stretch there where there was absolutely nothing, and you were just crossing your fingers that we'd get somewhere, and here we are now where it's uh, pretty close to normal. And then we've got great news yesterday that uh, you know fans are going to be allowed to start attending events as soon as today for women's soccer and. Uh, when the baseball and softball teams are at home, you can buy tickets, and I think it's 50% capacity, and uh, they're not ruling out uh, football either, and that's great. I mean, I think, you know, to me, this is a year where if you're Iowa, you should charge to get into uh, the spring game, uh, you know, because <laughs> I think people would go, and if you could get, you know, 10,000 people at five bucks a pop, I mean, yep. that's, that's one person's salary, you know, so I would do that if I were them, but I'm yeah. not them. It'd be interesting to see how they go with that. That voice you're hearing is Scott Docterman from The Athletic. I am Rob Howe, and we are recording this at about 9.30 a.m. on Thursday, March the 25th. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with football. I know I was on um, – an Omaha radio station yesterday and they had already that news had already come out and they were already making plans at Nebraska mm -hmm. for their spring game. And they announced yesterday, I think that it's 50% there and they will charge. They yeah. normally charge and they will charge. Not a bad deal for Iowa. And Iowa usually, I think ask you to bring, I don't know. I don't remember if it's for the spring or for the kids day or both, but they ask you to bring a canned good or non-perishable uh, for the food bank. Um, continue to do that, but also maybe, maybe get people, uh, you know, contribute back to the athletic department by don't, you know, paying $5 to get through and watch some football for the first time in a couple of years. Yeah. I think this is, this is one of those weird years where you, nobody got the fall. And uh, so this is an opportunity for people to finally see this in person because the, there were going to be a handful of people that were going to be able to go to Tennessee to watch the bowl game. And then that got canceled. So mm -hmm. I think people would pay in this situation. Maybe it's, 
something where yeah, I, I would do it this year if you're Iowa. And, and it's not Nebraska it's, or Ohio State where there's a huge tradition. It's more like Wisconsin and Michigan where there isn't. But I think this is different circumstances. And again, if you can, if you can squeeze any, any juice out of that lemon, uh, go ahead and do it. You, got, you need it right now. I'm happy too, and we'll we'll move on to basketball here. But I'm I'm also happy too, Scott, that the spring athletes who had their seasons completely wiped out last year because of the pandemic, now at least I, I know I think women's soccer only has two games left, and they're a fall sport. But they had theirs, you know, all the sports going on now are either sports that were canceled last spring or postponed this fall, and they've played, you know, they haven't had a chance to play in front of anybody. Um, for a long time they're getting a chance to now and that's great and even if it's friends and family and whatever that that decide to go out they're allowed to go and that's going to be nice for those athletes oh yeah I mean god I I, you, I felt bad for all of them all year long you know that especially last spring when everything got canceled so abruptly because we just really didn't know what was going to happen and and then they've been going through the spring I'm glad they've had a, a you know this season but you know, you look at uh, the field hockey team. They're ranked second in the country. Yep. And and now they have two games this weekend. And if you're an Iowa fan of sports and I would, of any sport, you know, and I would say majority of people listening now probably are, um, you know, what a, what a nice time to just say, let's go out. Let's, let's go out and see a Iowa team. It's not football or basketball, but, you know, these, these athletes, you know, could use your support. And, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's exciting. I'm sure it's exciting for them to say, oh, wow, we finally get fans. And if somebody's cheering and if it's some, some of their friends, you know, their students, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, baseball is away this weekend, but back yeah. the following weekend and have uh, quite a few home games left in the next mm-hmm. uh, next couple months. So it'd be good to see people back out at the ballpark uh, for softball as well as baseball, as you as you mentioned. So get on out there. I, uh, I checked with... Uh, James Allen from Iowa Sports Information yesterday. No restrictions on uh, shooting photographs, so I'll be over to grab some baseball photos, and I look forward to that. I haven't shot a f- photos of an Iowa event since uh, last basketball season, so it'll be nice to get out Ooh, there. I have been shooting high school, but it's, it'll be nice to – baseball's a, a big challenge shooting photos because you get, you get the pitcher – where you get somebody swinging your bat. Those are like your, your standard shots. But trying to get somebody sliding into second or making a yes. diving catch in the outfield, just and it's just split second, it's a yeah. great challenge when you're shooting photos. So look forward to trying to do that. I remember uh, when I worked for newspapers that every single photographer I worked with and went to baseball – they just had their camera trained on second base. That's yeah. all they wanted was somebody sliding into second <laughs> base and have two teams, a ball, a glove, somebody's either their feet or their hands and their head, you know, just some dirt, sort of action shot. Like yeah. the dirt and dust flying yeah. up and people – I mean, that's the shot. That's the money yeah. shot. Yeah, exactly. Because otherwise, they shoot the they make sure to shoot the pitcher first, yep. so you have something, and then you shoot that. And the batter is always difficult because you don't. <laughs> it's just, you know, how many times do they actually put the ball in play? You know, yes. and it's hard to get. Yes, yes. Looking forward to getting my eye trained back with baseball, and then looking forward to shooting football in the fall. Um, that will be nice, and maybe we'll get to see. Uh, maybe we'll get out and uh, get you know to be able to shoot. Spring, you know, the spring scrimmage, 
practice mm. game, whatever they call it these days. But uh, yeah, be nice to get out to that. If, you know, if they're letting fans in, maybe they usually keep us in the East stands anyway off the field. So they could still be able to do that without, you know, keep us distanced and all that other stuff. And we should be good to go. I'd be fine if they said, you know, hey, the photographers could go to the East stands, reporters who are just there to write only at that point, go up in the press box. Yeah. I'd, I'd be happy camper if that allowed you and, you know, 10 other photographers just to roam those stands. And I, I'd be totally fine with that. And that's, uh, I think, I don't think they've set a date, right, Scott? It's either the last day of, it's April, April 30th or May 1st. They haven't, had to make, they haven't made a decision yet on that. That is correct, and I think it's all going to come down to – I think BTN's going to play a role in that yeah. because they, uh, they're going to – I think they're going to televise – I want to say it's Penn State on May 1st. Okay. So I, I think that – and I, maybe Nebraska's that day too. So I could see them saying, hey, would you be interested in doing it, you know, on that Friday night just to have – you know. And if you're, if you're Iowa, I mean, granted, they do things so differently when it comes to PR and football than – I don't know, every other school in the country, you know, <laughs> but it would be a wise choice for them to, uh, you know, go ahead and accept that because that'll get played on a loop. I mean, throughout mm -hmm. the summer and you'll have some exposure that you haven't been able to have for, you know, 13, 14 months just with recruits that way. Yeah. And Kirk in the recent years is kind of like that Friday night spot. So mm -hmm. it may work out well for everybody. Yeah. Gives the players the weekend off. Mm -hmm. They've got finals coming up after that. So uh, that I, I would prefer it too. I, mm -hmm. I newspaper, our newspaper brethren wouldn't, but yeah. uh, they get every they get everything else. <laughs> All right, we will uh, we'll jump into some hoops now, Scott. Men's hoops first. Um, a disappointing end, I think. Uh, we it's fair to say to the season, uh, ninety five to eighty loss on Monday to Oregon, Iowa, the two seed, Oregon, the seven seed. I think we've, we've seen anything from this tournament that the seeds are uh, less stable than they've been in pretty much any year I've watched the tournament. And, and that, you know, there's, it, that's, it makes sense. I mean, we've talked about it already on this podcast about the pandemic and the virus and how that's affected things. And it affected the regular season. And uh, I think we all thought, we had a pretty good handle on the Big Ten being a very, very good conference. And, you know, in some cases, people were saying a historically good conference. Mm -hmm. And that just didn't prove to be true. I mean, I know you don't put all your eggs and say, okay, however they do in the NCAA tournament is how good the um, conference was, just like bowl games. Mm -hmm. But as poorly as the Big Ten played in this NCAA tournament, it was overvalued. There's, there's no other way to say it. Yeah, it, it, that's right. That's fair. And it, it's a take your medicine if you're, a, you know, most Iowa fans are Big Ten fans too. They want to see the league succeed and kind of beat your chest. We have the best league. You know, the SEC is the exact same way yep. and some of the other leagues are too, but not to the degrees of these two uh, ancient rivals. Um, and, and I think if you're going to make fun of the SEC during football, you know, well, we didn't really, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. We really didn't want to be there. All that's, you got to accept it. You know, <laughs> you got to take your medicine on this one. And, and frankly, the teams that got that not only were beaten, but beaten by decisive underdogs really reflect. I mean, you know, there's no, there's no real loss for Maryland losing to Alabama or Rutgers losing in the second round. Those are, those games happen, but 
for Ohio State to lose to a 15 in Oral Roberts, for Iowa to lose to a 7 in Oregon, for Illinois, which I still think is probably the biggest shocker for me just to lose, period, to Loyola. And the, st- the way that those teams lost, it wasn't a fluke. Uh, especially Iowa and Illinois. I mean, those were legitimate losses. Those were to teams that either either that was their one great day to beat those beat Iowa and Illinois, or it was uh, you know the, the, they figured it out. And um, Loyola dominated that game with Illinois, and Oregon from about the you know the last twenty four minutes of the game dominated the game against Iowa. Yeah, like you said, if you watch both of those games, you wouldn't say, well, this was flukish. Mm-hmm. No, Loyola was a good team that played well that day. Illinois did not play well. Oregon is a really good team that had a, has a veteran coach who's won a lot of games, who had a good game plan, mm-hmm. and said, hey, you know, he and Chris, Chris Duarte said after the game, Chris Duarte is just a yeah. fabulous player, but um, they both said after the game in the press conference, you know, we, we knew we couldn't stop Luca Garza. Yeah, we were going to single cover him for the most part and run people off the three point line. And it reminded me of the Michigan game at in Ann Arbor last year, where Luca got forty something and Iowa gave up whatever hundred and something points. Yeah, it it looked a lot like that the other day. It sure did, and and that that's the right way to do it. That's what I thought. I thought a lot of teams would do this year and really couldn't get around to it. And that is, hey, you can't stop Garza, you know. So so don't try. Um, and, and your Oregon, you're, they're the best team in the Pac-12 when it comes to uh, on-ball defense. Uh, when it comes to steals, they have, I think, three in the top six. Duarte was, was phenomenal. Uh, so is Figueroa. I mean, you know, they had some really great players. And they knew if they could defend Iowa from the perimeter and force them to shoot some bad threes or just not make them or be contested, that they were going to get some steals. They were going to be able to – push the ball and then Iowa defensively this is this is the worst case scenario um they weren't quick enough to defend them on man and then zone they got tore up and from three-point range so it was just um it was not a fluke it was a bad matchup I mean if you know say you flip this the this the matchups and Oregon was an eight playing Illinois and and uh Loyola was a seven playing Iowa maybe you have different outcomes but I think if Oregon plays Iowa, I think Oregon wins the majority of the time. They just – they their strengths are so much better than Iowa's strengths and their weaknesses are masked a little bit. Yeah, and it was so obvious what they were, were doing from a defensive standpoint. I mean, there was one point where I think the, the defender was actually behind Bohannon out of, of – out on the three-point line, he was almost side, you know, side by side with him or behind, and forced Jordan to go into the, to dribble in, and Jordan dribbled all the way into the lane and lofted a shot up that didn't go in. It's not his game. It's not what yeah. he's comfortable with. And Oregon was committed to not letting him get shots off. I think he took three threes, um, mm-hmm. and they were all contested. C.J. Frederick, um, obviously not 100% healthy. I don't think he's been since mm-hmm. he, you know, hurt the foot. Um, it did not look himself. We, we learned about Connor McCaffrey's injuries after the game as well. Um, but I don't really – I mean, certainly that, that influenced the game a little bit maybe. If, if I was healthy, maybe it's a little closer. But I'm with you. I thought Oregon was the better team. And it's a, basketball is about matchups, and that was a bad matchup for Iowa. And then, Scott, we saw again if Iowa struggles offensively at times, it allows it to affect its defense. 
too many transition baskets, mm. just baskets that you can't give up in a game like that that they allowed. What, what were their – somebody – I thought somebody tweeted out, were there nine or ten dunks in that game for Oregon? It was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. and I, th- I think it was ten dunks and nine were uncontested. Yeah. So That's... if you're going to do that, then it's, it's over. And because uh, those are <laughs> very high percentage <laughs> shots. Not, not for me because I can't get that high, but – but for everybody, but people on the basketball floor, it certainly is. And, and uh, you know, when you have two of your starting guards are, are, are can't play very well because they're injured, you know, one hip, one foot, it, it's going to make things really difficult. And then I thought, you know, Joe Toussaint played hard and played well for the most part, had some turnovers. But, you know, Tony Perkins, I think, is going to be a, a heck of a player for this team. And, you know, he played more than, than both C.J. Frederick and Connor McCaffrey did. But, you know, this just – this was a bad matchup. Iowa – even if Iowa went in with a different type of strategy, I don't know that it would work. I just um, – you know, and give your – you know, and I, I've heard a couple of different things that – in my opinion, sound more like excuses. One is, well, they had more rest. Come on, you had a week off before you played your first game. You're you played a two fifteen game. Don't mm-hmm. it, that's that's an excuse. And then, you know, I, I don't get that. And then the overseat or the underseated part for Oregon, sure, but you're still the two. You you still need to win those games. They had to go cross country, and and frankly, they had a lot of rust that they could have. You know, they could have missed a lot of shots because they hadn't played in, what, nine days. So I think right now it's uh, it's a bitter pill to swallow because this was the season. This was, uh, you know, for a lot of fans, not all, but a lot of fans, this singular game, it didn't matter who they were going to play, but this singular game was a referendum on the Fran McCaffrey era. Can you get to the Sweet 16? It doesn't matter if you're playing Oregon or – Kentucky or nobody, you know, you, you get a buy, you know, this was an important game and to not cross this bridge, you know, for a sizable amount, I'm not going to say the critical mass, but a sizable amount, it's, it's going to be hard to get back up again. Yeah. And not to any fault of their own because they don't own it all, but this is, this group now passes the gorilla along to the next group and whoever, because until somebody breaks through and gets to that sweet 16 for the first time since 1999, every team after that, we've seen it. You, you and I have covered all this, Scott, all mm-hmm. through the years. Whenever a team gets, you know, has an opportunity to maybe break through, that's the conversation. Can mm-hmm. it be the team that breaks through? This team wasn't able to do that, so now it goes on to the next team and the team mm-hmm. after that until somebody's able to break through. And it's unfortunate. This was a really, I think, a, a – uh, successful season, but we've talked about it before. You know, I, you know, you. I know you've talked to these guys: Haluska, mm-hmm. Horner, Bruner. Fabulous 2006 season. That team finished second yeah. in the Big Ten, won a Big Ten conference tournament. Northwestern State is what they're known for. People are going to yep. remember this Oregon, fair, Oregon game, fair or not. That's the saddest part for all of these teams. I, I went back. From 1988 on, you know, when uh, they went to back-to-back Sweet 16s under Tom Davis in his first few years, they've been to the second round 15 times and only once have they advanced. And frankly, the 99 team, which did break through, it was a 5-4 matchup. And so they were able – they played well. I'm not taking anything away from – I watched that game very closely. Um, But it wasn't the most talented team Iowa's had over that duration. And I would say it's probably in the bottom half. Um, I would say that – 
you know, certainly under Fran that this team was more talented. The one in 16 was more talented. 14 was probably more talented. Six, um, 97 was more talented. You know, all those teams had more reason to get to the next level. They just didn't do it. So I think with, uh, you know, the problem is you get kind of painted with a broad brush. And if you can't get through, it's, it's going to be tough to get past. And, but I think this one's the most difficult by far because they embrace the expectations. Fran said that we embrace this, that, you know, I believe we have the, ch the chance to do that. You know, in the summer, you have Luca Garza, who is an, an All-American coming back and the National Player of the Year. I mean, our staff today, the at the Athletic, named him the National Player of the Year. I did uh, see that this morning. So he's, yeah. as far as I know, Scott, it, was it, there was, was it Sports Illustrated or ESPN? One named Io, but the rest, I think, have all been Luca. Yeah, um, I want to say, um, the, let's see. I, I know Sporting News named Luca. Yeah. That, that's one of the main ones. Um, I, I can't remember which one. It might have been. I think it was ESPN. Sports. Yeah, ESPN or Sports Illustrated are come popping in my head. But either way, yeah. I mean, Luca's been by far the, the most recognized. So, yeah, I, I feel comfortable saying player of the year. Yeah, yeah. He's going to be the consensus. Maybe not unanimous, but consensus. Yeah. And you have that force and a lot of veterans and you've had success, uh, limited somewhat, but really they had back-to-back -back NCAA tournament teams. They didn't get to go last year, but they still were an NCAA team mm -hmm. that you were in the top five all year. You were a number two seed. The expectation is at a minimum, you get to the sweet 16. And if you lose there, so, you know, your people are going to be pissed and, and, but you got to that level to where, you know, you can be celebrated kind of in the future. Now, you know, you're kind of, you know, an orphan, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, how do you, uh, I mean, do, do they bring them back for the round of 32 team in 10 years? Uh, they didn't win the big 10. They didn't win the big 10 tournament. They didn't get to the sweet 16. So uh, Iowa never really has had celebrations for round of 32 teams. You know, the, the least didn't have, uh, you know, some sort of a championship attached. So, I think this is going to be a really tough one for the program to overcome in the eyes of a lot of its fans, which will have trouble trusting it, that it will get past this. And even if it does, even if next year, which I do think they have the guts of a pretty good team returning, but, and they, let's say that they happen to be a six seed and they beat a three and they go on to the sweet 16. It's still not this year. This year is the expectation year and it wasn't fulfilled and that's always hard to come back from. Yeah, and getting a look, I mean, there's always, there are always those unknowns going into uh, a, a NCAA tournament, Scott. Having seen USC now for a couple games, yeah. eesh. Yeah. That would have been the Sweet 16 opponent again. Really tough matchup. That team is good. I mean, I, I, I don't think I've seen Bill Self give up that early in a game I mean I they were showing him like in the first half on the bench just and he's normally a guy who's up and moving around he knew he was beat with a with his Kansas team against USC yeah. so it's a Bill Walton it's a Bill Walton march the conference of champions are showing out man they are good I mean in UCLA to be able to continuously come back against Michigan State in that yep. play-in game, the first four game. Oregon State to beat Oklahoma State. I mean, they were like they were like my dark horse going in before the bracket was picked. I thought Cade Cunningham, good yep. league. 
uh, and then I'm like, oh, they're in with Illinois. That's too bad. I would have picked them for the final four if they were playing in, say, the, the bracket Iowa's in or something. But uh, <laughs> to see Oregon State take them out, this is like a jamboree, a three-way jamboree between the Pac-12, the old Southwest Conference, and then and, and then a bunch of parochial schools. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it's fascinating to watch. Now we can do so objectively and uh, without any kind of emotional attachment. One thing I want to touch on here before we maybe look ahead to next season, Scott, is uh, the end of Luca Garza's just a fabulous career. Um, incredibly productive. Um, kid did everything right. Worked his butt off. Maximized his ability. Um, and it all came, all the emotion came out at the end of that game. We, we all saw it national, you know, national TV audience saw it. Uh, his post game was heartbreaking. Um, you know, took the blame on himself and, and he almost knows that, you know, as well as he played, he understands as, as cognizant as he is of basketball history that People are going to look at him as, as one of the best, if not the best that ever played here, but the ending he knows is part of his, his, his legacy. And, and, and it was hard for him to deal with that. That's the sad part because, you know, we've covered this program forever, you know, and I watched it as a kid. He's the best player in Iowa basketball history. You know, come at me with Ronnie Lester and Roy Marble and stuff. I, I don't care. Luca Garza is the best player to ever play here. He did it statistically. He elevated his team most of the time. Uh, he formed the the foundation of this program, and it was really, it was really heartbreaking to watch that. I think if even if you didn't care about Iowa or Garza or any had any attachment, that was probably a tough moment to watch. That way, for someone who you know, I remember, I remember when he committed during the Iowa, Iowa State football game in 2016. And I wrote about it a little bit today in my mailbag, just how, um, you know, it was noteworthy. It was like, oh, wow, that's a good, that's a good get for Fran. He really needed that. And then, uh, you know, we kind of went back to cover the game, but, you know. <laughs> but, but that word see... that you, that word that you use, Scott, oftentimes I think can have a lot of different meanings committed. Mm -hmm. There was nobody I've covered in, you know, 24 years at Iowa that was more committed to the University of Iowa, not only on that day, but throughout his career. Mm, yeah, he was. Um, he hated to lose. Yeah. He absolutely hated it. I mean, you know, we haven't had a chance to, to talk to him face to face, you know, in a year, really, from, from this. But I remember him, you know, in that little side media room, the club room where he would talk and he would kind of lean up against the wall. He'd wear like a black suit and he'd just kind of sway back and forth. And if they lost, he was just, he was really, he wasn't surly necessarily, but it just, you could tell it ate him up. And he wanted, he wanted to outwork everybody. He certainly did. He poured everything into this program. This is the type of player that when we're, uh, you know, on our journalism rocking chair in 20 years or whatever it will be <laughs> you know that we'll we'll and somebody goes oh this guy's the goat he's the greatest ever played Iowa we're gonna be like let, let me tell you about a guy named Luca Garza um I the the respect factor I have for him is really not superseded by hardly anyone that I've ever covered and that includes the pros for that matter because he's just 
he's one of a kind and he deserves every single accolade he's ever received. And uh, hopefully going forward, he has that uh, type of appreciation from Iowa fans. And I'm hopeful that the right NBA team figures out what he does well and allows him to succeed at that particular area. Yes, and we will dig in more to uh, that as we get closer to the NBA draft uh, with he and I think Joe Wieskamp. Um, But I I think to transition, Scott, when Luca got here, the program was not in a great place. And he's brought it to where it is now. And we, we hear that, you know, that they'll leave the jersey in a better place. He's done that. Now it's up to Fran and the coaches to continue this on to not have a valley, to make sure that this program stays competitive in the conference, makes the NCAA tournament, maybe not annually, but most seasons. Um, Mm -hmm. And then maybe breaks through and gets to that Sweet 16 and and raises the program above that. Um, It's going to be an interesting transition because you lose Luka, you lose Jordan Bohannon, and I think we would agree from what we're hearing – Joe Wieskamp's gone. Yeah. That's, I mean, the t- the team, the roster you return, it's going to look completely different. And you're hoping Jack Nungy comes back and can be mm-hmm. that anchor in the middle, you know. But I mean, this this th- this team's going to have to win a different way next season than it did this season. There's nobody to run your offense through down on the block that we know Mm -hmm. of. I mean, I think there are multiple guys that can do different things, but this is a team that's long. I think can be a better defensive team. I think a team that can press. I think it's going to just look a lot different than this year's team did the last few years for that matter. Yeah. You know, there have been a lot of, uh, you know, fans that have kind of pounced on the Fran extension. And I understand, you know, when you have a disappointing end like this, naturally there's a, you know, what, you know, kind of a freak out. And, I agree with the extension. I think he's done what he's needed to do. You know, you can't make every season a one-game referendum. And if you do, then it's going to be disappointing, and that's a heck of a lot of pressure to put on a team and a program. Uh, And and I will say this, that I've seen him kind of build. You know, this was the second build, the 2.0 per se, Mm -hmm. uh, because the first one where he was just kind of getting settled – and as we know, he put all of his recruiting resources into Woodbury and Gazelle, Marcus Page. That one didn't come through, but kind of got that one out of the way early. Um, you know, got Utah. They you know, had Aaron White, who was a great story in his own right, and then kind of ascended and reached a level that, you know, they should have gotten a little bit higher. But then there was like a brook cutoff. Like you said, when Luca got here, it was at a different level because they had all left. And then they were starting over again. And you had um, Tyler Cook, you know, which was a great pickup for him, for Fran, one of the biggest. And then build it all the way up here. And now you have another cutoff because when you have that foundation that leaves, then you've got to build another one. And I think they're going to have a completely different style of play, as you said. And they have had in the past Mm -hmm. when they haven't had a, a dominant scoring post. I mean, Adam Woodbury was a defensive machine. And the ball could run through him. He just didn't score a whole lot. Um, Ola Shaney was a little different that way where he could, but, you know, he wasn't the same player. So I, I think this this unit, I think even without Wieskamp, they've got players. And they've got maybe more athletic players than they've had this year. But I also think they're going to need, at a minimum, one more piece. 
in the transfer portal. They have to have somebody who could step in, even if Jack Dungey starts, but be able to take 20 minutes to 25 minutes even in at center. And even if it's a eight and six, eight and eight guy, that's what you're going to need because mm-hmm. you're not going to replicate guards. Don't even try. But if you can have somebody who can at least pull down the ball and uh, pass it out of there, <laughs> I think that's what you need. Yeah, I think you make a great point, Scott, that Fran is – he's shown um, the flexibility through the years to adapt to who, whomever is his best player, from yeah. Devin Marble to Aaron mm-hmm. White to Utah to Luca Garza to Tyler Cook. He adjusts to wherever that the strength of his team is. It'll be interesting to see what it is next year. Is it Keegan Murray? Is that the guy – or is it more of a, a group effort? And, and you know, is, is it CJ Frederick? Is it you know who who are the who's the who are the go to guys when you're in the half court offense and who are you running your offense through? Um, I think it can be different guys on different nights. Um, but I'm with you. They need to address some things in, in the transfer portal. I think I, I think a post, it, it, like you said, is probably the most important. They they should they will have two available scholarships if if Joe Wieskamp moves on like we think he will. Um, I almost think you need a shooter. I mean, you lose Wieskamp and Bohannon, there, there aren't – you look at Perkins and Ulis and, and, uh, and, and Toussaint. Frederick's a good shooter. We know he can mm-hmm. shoot. Keegan Murray has to improve his outside game. Patrick McCaffrey has to be more consistent on the outside. They really – I think they need a shooter like 1B after a post player. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you can, and, and almost the same way with uh, Garza. Wieskamp is going to be very difficult to re- replace as oh, well. Yeah. Because, because I think he, people he, undervalue Joe. I really do. Yeah. And he's overshadowed by Luke, and I get that. But I don't, I, don't, I don't think his talent is appreciated as much as it should be. But that's just me. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> I, I think you just have that, this, you know, the shadow of Luca Garza that, that kind of clouds everybody. And I think he's, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to get out of it. And, and if he was playing side by side with Utah for Devin Marble, be the same way, right. you know, and I thought they were excellent. Play. Peter Jock, you know, mm-hmm. same way, but I, well, it, you know, maybe that's the other thing and whether Fran is comfortable or not going to the transfer portal and taking a guy here or there, I, he's, he doesn't necessarily like it, but you're going to have to hold your nose and do it. And I think you need a combo guard. You need a, a six five six six guy. And if that's a, a mid-major, a kick-ass mid-major guy who can shoot from three, can also break down defenders and do, just do things, you know, an A.J. Green type. Um, maybe I'm going a little too high. He's <laughs> also hurt. I don't know what it is with hips and, and these players, but um, we're finding out that some issues there, but you know, the, uh, I, I think it's, uh, that's, that's also what they could use. Cause when you look at, at you know, I mean, Connor McCaffrey, you know, experienced player does a lot of things. Well, uh, you know, I think a healthy CJ Frederick can shoot lights out, it, you know, maybe what right there with Peter Jock is, um, and, uh, you know, probably guy, John and guy shoots 50% for three from yeah. three. I mean, that's right. That's rare. Yeah. And he can, he can also pull up and, you know, shoot a mid range just as well as a three. And so that's, 
that's awesome for him. Uh, I like, I, I think Keegan Murray's about to become a star. I think he's going to be a first team, all big 10 player. And I think Chris just kind of was the, you know, the struggles of being a twin, you know, he was the one that kind of got on the bench, but I think he could go in and have a real major impact, whether it's the same level as Keegan. I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll find out. Uh, but, you know, and I think Patrick can take a jump. So I think they've got the guts of a good team, a team that can compete, you know, with even a post for probably an NCAA tournament berth next year. But can you get past that? I, not right now. I don't, I don't see that right now. And those are the two, I mean, the two names that we are, I think are the biggest unknowns, Scott, because they just couldn't crack through a deep rotation this year. As you said, are Chris Murray and Joshua Gundelay. What type mm-hmm. of development can they make here in the offseason? For those that haven't seen Chris um, play, he's, he's not the same as Keegan. They're different players. Chris is a more mm-hmm. perimeter-oriented perimeter player, shoots a little bit better from three. He's left-handed. Um, that's kind of why he was behind a, a group of, you know, three, twos and threes this year where he couldn't really get in into the game. And we did get to see Josh a little bit. And, uh, you know, he, he, he got off to a, uh, a bumpy start just getting over here late, visa issues, uh, getting COVID, then trying to get himself in shape, and then playing behind Luca and probably getting pounded on in practice every day. Yeah, and, right. uh, but I, but I mean, I, I think there was a, a a good deal of potential there with him when they signed him, and I still think he's pretty. He's a pretty skilled big man with really. He's long, man. He, he's mm-hmm. not necessarily a a you know six, six six eleven seven foot guy, but he plays bigger than his size because of his length. Yeah, he does. He's. I think he's a guy. You know, he's a developmental project, and you can't just throw him in next year. It's 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 kind of the same way of an offensive tackle or somebody, you know, where you think that they're going to be really good, but that doesn't mean, oh, okay, we're going to start him in, in as, as a redshirt freshman. You know, yeah. you know it, it's not going to work. So I think that's the same way here that you figure, hey, let's bring him along, have somebody else step in, and, you know, whether – Jack Dungey, of course, is probably the starter, but he's also a four. He's probably more of a four. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you'd want to have, again, more of a, a traditional post – and then have a Gundelay play maybe eight minutes a game next year. I think that's probably a fair thing. You know, two different, two to three different, uh, you know, sequences per game. You know, go in for four or five minutes from the 12 to eight, you know, and, and maybe both halves. And then if you need to get in a little bit more, you know, do that. But I, I think the guts of a good player is there. So I, I like the makeup of the roster. I think Tony Perkins – he showed me a lot late in the year. I thought he was really something. And, you know, Aaron Euless, you know, I saw less of, so I, I don't want to – but he had four assists the other day. So, I think there's – they've got good players. It's just going to be growth. How quick is it going to be? And uh, and can they have a couple of pieces fit right in there to compete in it? You know, still what I think is a very competitive Big Ten. Yeah, and it's going to be as, as it is most years in college, you know, sports, you know – guys and gals leave and your role, you know, the guys that are remaining, their roles increase. How do they handle the increased responsibility and roles and and how do they develop? And uh, Fran is not bringing in 
four and five stars, just like Kirk isn't bringing four and five stars. Basketball, very similar to football, is a developmental program. And Scott talked about Josh Agundale, a guy that's going to develop, and hopefully by the time he's a junior, he can be a, a key contributor, if not more than that. So we'll kind of see, um, you know, how these guys do, you know, how – Keegan Murray is when he's at the top of the scouting report instead of in the middle of the scouting report of opposing teams. Uh, all these things go into it. We talk, Scott, about guys that, um, you know, positions that we think Iowa will look for in the transfer portal. There's always that possibility that guys from this roster enter into the transfer portal. Um, I've been digging around the last few days trying to avoid the rumor speculation mill and trying to actually get concrete information. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, the two guys I think I would watch, um, and I'm not saying they're leaving, but I think there's a possibility, are C.J. Frederick and Joe Toussaint. Um, and for, ver for, for different reasons, but those are the – and. So now you have to look at the roster. What would it look like without those two pieces? Potentially. I don't know what the odds are. I don't know what the chances are. There's just the possibility, potential there, that those two guys could move on. Um, and then you have to adjust. And this dead period runs through May, too, which I think is going to make this these next few months interesting to see. You, we talked about it before, before we started recording, Scott. The transfer portal is just kind of growing every day. Um, when do guys start – guys start to make decisions. So they wait until June when they can go to campuses. They do it before that. It's probably going to be a mix. And it'll be interesting to see how Iowa kind of gets involved in that. How much is going to be done under the table? I mean, seriously, how much is it going to be, you know, just lend, leaning into the speculation? Let's, let's start there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that this is going to happen or anything, but you know, with CJ Frederick, everybody's talking Kentucky. Kentucky's gonna shake up its roster, and it's it, he's from you know Covington, you know Catholic there in the Cincinnati area. Uh, Kentucky Player of the Year. If if he wanted to, um, he could go home and then go to Kentucky's campus, and then oops, bump into John Calipari. Um, nobody saw anything, right? You know, and then boom, uh, you know something could get consummated there. I, you know, and I'm just leaning into that. That that very well could not be the case. Maybe he's a hawk and he's always going to be one. I don't know, but and that's that could be the case for anybody. Say you take uh, the best player from Loyola or Valpo or someplace like that, and they decide that they want to go to Iowa. Well, they can just you know drive in for the weekend. So I think that there's going to be some what some people can call tampering. You know, Liam Robbins, you know, come on down, you know. <laughs> so, uh, I, but that said, it's this, I don't see, P, I see about a third to a half of the, of the transfers, the higher caliber ones leaving, you know, picking their schools without maybe sight unseen. Mm -hmm. Maybe they, you know, because if you're transferring from Indiana or if you're transferring from a major program, you know, your value already. And the, the coaches that are talking to you, you know, how you fit to me, it's probably the more the mid major role player types or the guys who didn't really perform at the, at the highest level. That's where the fit's going to be more questionable going forward. So, you know, whereas just looking at those two that you brought up, we can't, I mean, uh, <laughs> he better not Frederick, um, he knows his value. He knows where he could go. And 
if that's options there, that's one thing. I don't see him just entering it and just, you know, holding his finger in the air and, and saying, you know, recruit me. However, you know, Toussaint might be in that other category where it's, you know, he's from the Bronx. Does he, uh, you know, maybe he wants to see what's closer to home. Maybe he wants to see, you know, and I'm only speculating because it's been brought up. So I don't know what the future holds for either one of them. I think that they have a heck of an opportunity at Iowa next year. I think they both should be starters. And I think they have a chance to shape their identity through this team and their skill set fits the program very, very well. Yeah, and like you said, Scott, usually it usually comes after the final four. Fran will meet with these guys individually, talk about what his expectations are for them in the offseason, where they fit into the program, what his vision is, and then the players get a chance to kind of ask questions and talk about, you know, things that that are on their mind in terms of playing in the program. So that's a good portion of time. Um, I will say for those that – aren't familiar kind of how this works, and, and Scott touched on it. Um, I don't know how you want to frame it. Under the table, uh, you know, things that go on behind closed doors. The C.J. Frederick talk started from Matt Jones, who's, who's an insider uh, in Kentucky. He, he's connected. He yeah. knows Kentucky, the state of Kentucky basketball, the Kentucky program in particular. He floated Frederick's name out there. My guess is, and this is me speculating, he's not floating it out there without somebody on one side th- giving him that information. Well, it's whether it's Cal, yeah. an assistant coach at Kentucky, somebody in CJ's family, somebody is putting that out there. Um, most likely for him to throw that name out there. And let's face it, what C.J. Frederick has shown in his first few years at Iowa, if he were to go into the transfer portal, he would be one of the most sought-after guys in that transfer portal. He's a two-way guard who shoots 50% from three. You know what you're getting. It's not, there's not a mystery there. He, he would be very, very well sought after. And uh, so we'll see. He's going to have to weigh if the grass is greener somewhere else basically. And what is he coming back to at Iowa? This is always the toughest part why coaches are hating the, the transfer portal while, while they embrace it. And that is to somebody who you built up that was a kind of a glorified walk-on who ended up getting a scholarship and then worked his way into the starting lineup and has played well and you've seen him grow. The last thing you want, for, if you're Fran McCaffrey, is to see him go to Kentucky or Notre Dame. Right. You know, it's, it's like, well, I just built this kid up. Of course, mid-majors have to deal with it all the time, mm-hmm. you know, in Iowa and, you know, especially in footballs, uh, certainly a willing acceptance of, yeah, come, come play for us. So, um, you know, the Iowa just doesn't see itself as the Northern Illinois of, of basketball. Yeah. He's going to be sought after no question. And uh, cause everybody from the blue bloods would need a guy like that because mm-hmm. he, he does the tough stuff. He'll guard you. He's a, he's a tough, hard-nosed player. He'll, he'll do whatever it takes to win, and then he'll knock down all those shots. So if you have the McDonald's All-American two five-stars in the front court, all they have to do is kick it out to him. <laughs> yeah. And if he misses, then they're in there to, to rebound it. So, yeah, he's a valuable entity. Because I would say at Indiana, the one thing I've noticed over the years – that they haven't been able to get right for a long, long time is 
the development of their other players because they get the five stars. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Jackson Davis is a five star or was, or he plays like one. Um, and they've had a ton, you know, Langford and, and all, Romeo Langford and all those guys. But, you know, they don't have the other guys. The, the guys like a, a Frederick or, you know, a Connor McCaffrey that are tough as hell that do what they need them to do to win. And, and uh, but Frederick's one of those guys. And any team would want him. So, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. Joe Toussaint, a similar situation. I think Joe um... – this was a very, very um, uneven season for him. There were times Mm -hmm. where he would be trusted and could go out there and play his game. And there were other times where I think frequently he had a short leash. And however, whether you think that's fair or not fair, Fran's doing the right thing, he's not doing the right thing, players process that information. And he's going to ask himself this offseason, am I going to be trusted next year? Do I have to earn that trust? Mm-hmm. What's it going to take to earn that trust? Can, is Fran just going to give me the ball now that Jordan's moving on um, and, you know, let me lead the ship or, you know, run the, run the team? And uh, that's going to be an interesting conversation between him and Fran. This stat line tells you everything you want to know about it. Again, oh, the stat line against Oregon tells you everything you want to know about his year. Five points, four assists, three turnovers, two steals, two rebounds, and uh, two fouls. So it's very inconsistent. You get good and you get bad. We've seen him make some really dumb mistakes this year, frankly. You know, the, the, I, I want to say it was the inbound. There were two inbound plays where he just threw the ball to nobody. One was at Indiana late in the half, and yeah. one, was, one was at home, and I can't remember which game it was that he threw the ball just like at the end of the first half. And you're like, what are you doing? Um, and then there's some brilliant plays that he makes. He just looks spectacular, makes great decisions, can, can shoot through the lane and, and dish the ball. And, and he and Patrick McCaffrey have great chemistry together. And, and same thing with Keegan Murray. So I think he's the perfect point guard for this team next year if he can straighten that out. Maybe it's just playing more mm-hmm. and having more confidence and not feeling – pressure to where if you don't make the right play at the right time, then you're going to get yanked. Um, Anthony Clements was in the same boat. I thought, you know, his sophomore year got yanked all the time and then kind of got froze out. Now I think with, uh, you know, with Joe Toussaint, it's, do you stay, do you tough it out? Do you feel like this is your team and do you have a a really positive experience to end the year? Or is it, yeah, you know what? I, I want to finish my career somewhere else where I think I have more value. So those are those are going to be some big questions to answer, and uh, Fran's going to have to help him find the right answers. Yes, and uh, as we just talked about, I, there's going to be some movement on this roster. What's coming back, you know, is not um, well, how you if you go to HawkeyeSports.com right now and pull up the Iowa roster, there's going there are going to be some additions and perhaps some subtractions uh, beyond the ones we know. Um, so we'll have to see over the next com- couple months where that goes and what this team looks like heading into the summer as it prepares for its next season and a new era without Luca and Jordan Bohannon and, and probably Joe Wieskamp. It'll be a new era for Iowa basketball, and we'll see what it brings. Yeah, yeah. It's it's always kind of a, a sad farewell when these players leave that you've kind of invested yourself in. Even as reporters, 
because we've gotten to know them, you know, through whether it's the recruiting process, when they've been to campus, we don't have the, the primetime league anymore, but, you know, getting to know them there and then usually face-to-face for press conferences and games. And, and there's more exposure to these basketball players than there are to the football players and uh, more face-to-face interaction that, you know, you, you kind of have that, Oh, it's too bad. You know, it's weird. I, I was talking with uh, over Twitter with Aaron White and I said, you know, this was before the Oregon game. And I posted two pictures of when I went there for their NIT game um, mm. <laughs> and it was 108 to 97. So it was pretty close to the same type of game. And Devin Marble hit, I think his first six or seven three pointers. He was seven of eight from three. And uh, there was no defense whatsoever. And I'm like, man, this is nine years ago. And Aaron White's like, nine years? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) I left on my daughter's 11th birthday, and now she's 20. And he's like, man, I have three kids now. (laughs) I'm like, man, we're getting old. And I go, you really make me feel old. So, um, But, uh, you know, that's the thing, that these players have attachments, and so does, you know, so do we. So it's it's you just wish them the best and you hope that they can, you know, whatever career path they take, that it's a good one and you can interact with them in the future. Yes. Here, here. And the uh, sting of this loss will, will decrease as time goes on. It'll never go away, but yeah. it will, uh, it will decrease. And, and hopefully uh, folks remember what these guys accomplished and, and how much, how much pleasure they gave you as a fan, you know, to watch them play. So, um, while the, the men's team, Scott, is, uh, you know, had, was very senior and experience-laden this year, uh, the women's team, uh, w- which made it to the Sweet 16, uh, mm-hmm. beat Kentucky the other day, will face UConn. Um, one of the talks of the country uh, in basketball right now is Iowa freshman Caitlin, Caitlin Clark. And this team starts a junior, three sophomores, and a freshman in Caitlin Clark. Uh, Lisa Bluter doesn't rebuild. She reloads. And uh, we're finding that out this season. Yes, we are. Um, every time we think that there is going to be a sizable dip just because you just can't replace this woman, somebody comes in and takes it to a different level. In a, and Caitlin Clark, first team All-American by The Athletic this morning. Um, Should coach, be on everybody's first yeah, team. Well, right. That's a, yeah, she yeah. – <laughs> She's a, she's a, so to me, she's a first team All-American yeah. and at worst, she's a second team All-American. So she's one of the 10 best players in the country. Her first year on campus as an incredible shooting art, 35 points. I mean, she had more points than Kentucky at, at halftime the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lisa just, Lisa and Jan Jensen and Abby Stamp, you know, the Jenny Fitzgerald, uh, you know, the, the coat, the assistants that they have, and there's one more and I can't remember her name. Other one, I don't know. Is it Catherine Reynolds? Uh, she's like director of ops, maybe. Okay. Um, something like that. Well, all of them have, uh, they're just. Really Portland? Yeah, you're probably right. I, yeah. Go ahead, keep talking. Uh, I was going to say, <laughs> now I'm like, oh, crap. Uh, Raina Harmon, yeah. Raina yeah. Harmon. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, go ahead. But um, <laughs> anyway, I, I just. Every time you you think, okay, they're going to take a dip and it's going to take a little bit of time, you know, because we're thinking that way with men's basketball. Mm-hmm. Right. They lose, take your pick, um, over the last 10 years from Samantha Logic, uh, tough as that hell, you know, broken tooth, 
point guard, you know, going to the first round of the NBA, WNBA draft to Ali Disterhoff, you know, who set all the scoring records to Megan Gustafson, who I still think is of as the goat. Um, Kathleen Doyle kind of, after they lost, uh, you know, they went to the Elite Eight and lost Gustafson. I thought, all right, it's going to take some time to, to kind of, almost the same way we're looking at with men's basketball. And then Kathleen Doyle becomes the Big Ten Player of the Year. And now when she leaves, you're going, okay, Caitlin Clark's got a lot of talent, but she's only a freshman, right? Oh, man, she is extraordinary. I mean, she's probably getting more accolades and more, you know, just as much interest as, as uh, Megan Gustafson did her last couple of years. So um, I would say she's getting more love nationally just because of the style of play she has. So what a performance the other day. Uh, I, I mean, that was incredible. And we're going to see now the spotlight gets even bigger. They get they play UConn and Paige Beckers. The argument who's the better freshman? They get to go head to head. It's a it's a ABC game Saturday at I think noon or eleven o'clock. I mean, a lot of eyeballs on that. Great for the program. And uh, so now that probably opens more doors for you in recruiting and kind of it feeds off of itself. So um, yeah, I mean, just it's as disappointing as the men's season was to come to an end. This is an exciting, this is an exciting time for Iowa women's basketball. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, you know, going back a couple of weeks ago when they gave up a thousand points to, uh, <laughs> um, you know, Maryland and, and Maryland and, put a hundred on somebody yesterday too. I saw. Yeah, so. I saw that. I mean, they, we have a, you know, at the athletic, we have a, uh, an internal pool for men's and women's and they were, uh, and so I did the women's pool. I had Maryland win in it. I thought they were that good. But, yeah. you know, and Brenda Freeze was our coach of the year. So, you know, local connection there. I just, you know, I thought, okay, this defense is allowing 80 points a game. It's going to be tough for them to – I thought they'd be like a – I texted somebody that there's gonna, they're going to be the type of team that wins like 80 – or 100 to 87 in the first round and then get beat by 30 in the second. But it'll be like 114 to 80 or something like that. Yeah. No, they didn't do that. Now it might happen on Saturday, but um, but if you're if you're somebody who's hedging on what to do next year or the year after for basketball, and you're looking and you're going, "Wow, I could play there and play alongside that player when I'm a, when she's a junior and I'm a freshman." What better commercial do you have than on ABC on Saturday afternoon? Yeah, and there's. Kevin Durant's tweeting about her. Megan Rapinoe's yeah. tweeting about her. Sue Bird. So, I mean, you go down the list of attention that she's getting from people in the basketball community and beyond. Um, it's great. It's, it's not only good for Iowa women's basketball. It's great for Iowa sports to, mm-hmm. to, to get this type of attention. So, um, yeah, it's, it's outstanding. You know, my, my wife's not necessarily a big sports fan other than gymnastics at the Olympics and stuff. Yeah. And she Figure loves skating. this team. Eh, used to. Kind of got, <laughs> I, think, I, think the, I think the scandal in 2002, the Russian-French scandal, kind of soured her on that. But, uh, uh, no, the, but gymnastics she absolutely loves. And she loves yeah. this team. She loves watching this team and, and can't wait. Um, just thinks the world of Lisa Bluter and, and uh, has been that way for years. And, and I think – you know, there's been, you know, I, I think Lisa was underappreciated for a lot of her career, maybe the first 10 or plus 
so years because there's always that natural comparison to see Vivian Stringer, mm -hmm. you know, and everybody's going to say, well, she got to the final four. She was this, I don't, I don't see that anymore. I see an, a real appreciation, a surprise to some extent, but then also, wow, look what she's done and look at what she continues to do and put this program in what the third time in the last four years they're in the sweet 16. That's, that's something to not only celebrate, but really appreciate. And Jan Jensen too. I mean, mm -hmm. she can't do this without Jan and, and Jan coaching the, the posts as well as any coach in America. And I mean, you know, Sanzano is, <laughs> she's really come on strong, you know, the other day, you know, with eight rebounds and 14 points, it was just, it was something special that you've seen out of her. Yes, they've got it going on. And, you know, Saturday, you're going to be a heavy underdog. You just let it all hang out. And I yeah. remember I covered them when they played UConn mm -hmm. in stores back whenever the heck that was. The Sue Bird team with Swing Cash. Oh, yeah. That was arguably the greatest women's team that ever was assembled. Um, and they just destroyed Iowa. And Iowa was nervous. And Iowa had a good team that year. But um, – this UConn team isn't as good as that. I think this Iowa no. team is better. And you just never know. You throw it out there and, you, you know, you, you know, follow the game plan, follow what the coaches tell you, and you've got a generational-type player in Caitlin Clark. you mm -hmm. you got a puncher's chance here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. To me, that's the one hallmark of sports that always can tip the games you know, in an upset direction when you have one player who can do something like she can. Now Paige Buchers is, is phenomenal. And, and she's the player of the year for most outlets or, or, you know, and they've, they shared freshman of the year, Paige and uh, Caitlin. But if you've got a person like Caitlin Clark chucking threes and you're down nine points with, with four minutes to go, all of a sudden she hit, you know, she's like Reggie Miller, you know, yeah. boom, boom, boom. Oh, wow. Here's, you're within two and things change and dynamics change. And if you're the underdog and you get in the second half of some of these games and you're close, then the pressure flips. Then it goes to the UConn. Like, what, what are we doing here? What are we, why can't, are we winning? And, um, and then you start questioning things and pressure builds at the free throw line. And, um, and I expect a fully very competitive Caitlin Clark because, you know, she and Paige Buchers are going to be stars, not only in college women's basketball, but beyond. I mean, they're going to be WNBA stars in the future and, and overseas. So uh, this is a, a friendly rivalry, certainly, but it's a very competitive matchup. And I think there's a lot of attention circulated here, which is great for the sport and the University of Iowa. Yes, look forward to that Saturday and uh, see what the Hawkeyes can do um, down in San Antonio, in the San Antonio bubble. Um, yeah. They had uh, last weekend, Scott, we'll transition over to wrestling. Um, as good as Caitlin Clark and Luca Garza are, I, would, uh, I, I can go out on a limb and say that they would not be doing this without ACLs. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Spencer Lee uh, continued and added to his legend uh, winning – uh, his third national championship at 125 pounds, and then revealing afterward in the post-match interview uh, that he had torn his ACL uh, sh a short time ago, and uh, you know, just just to me, and 
And my son Alex and I uh, watched the wrestling. He's, he likes wrestling a lot. So we were watching it. He's, he kept saying, like, throughout the weekend, Spencer doesn't look right. Spencer doesn't look like himself. He's not as explosive. And I could see it, too. Yeah. So it all made mm-hmm. sense at the end. But in your mind, you're not thinking, yeah, he's probably wrestling without, an ACL, without ACLs. When you're watching the match, you don't even – that doesn't yeah. compute in your mind that that's something that's possible. And then you hear it after. And uh, – Amazing. Just amazing, amazing athlete. It's, it is, it's, it's incredible that somebody could have the the strength and toughness to do that. And he did it. What yeah, it's, the reports vary, you know, whether he did it the week before in practice or he did it at big tens, you know, I don't know, but to be able to do it period is, is unbelievable. And, and it is the one sport where you can do that because the, the lack of lateral movement and strength, and it does cause you to kind of oof, gives out really quick. Um, well, you can do that on a wrestling mat. You can't really do that in basketball. You know that there's you have to have lateral movements there at top speed. There's no top speed in wrestling. That said, I'm not taking away one iota of what he accomplished because the only match where he didn't score bonus points for his team all year was the championship that he won seven to nothing, and he was dominant. Now, I agree with your son, Alex. I mean, holy cow. He did not look the same as he had in the past. And this is just crazy to me that he's going to do this. And he's going to go for the Olympic trials even without it. Um, It's just – I don't know what else you can really add to him. He's just unbelievable. And it did. I mean, it handicapped him because he does – of the wrestlers that you watch, he does use lateral movement in terms of, you know, side to side and his – activity on the mat but he knew that he didn't have that and he adjusted and mm-hmm. and wrestled knowing that he had to change his style a little bit and that's even more impressive when you think about him knowing that he can't wrestle his normal style and he still was dominant yeah he's just got such incredible strength and flexibility and he could move people in positions that very few people will try, let alone succeed at. And he could do so many different things, whether it's on his feet, on the mat. He's just unbelievable. I mean, we've seen great wrestlers every year at Iowa and yet he's the best. He's the best. He's the, you know, and I feel weird saying that. I feel like I'm like some sort of recency bias, you know, hyperbole here with Luca Garza and, and him, but it's true. The it's to go out and do what he did anyway, even with two great ACLs is, is remarkable, let alone to do it without him. I mean, yeah. uh, there's just no way to, to build that. It's just, it's incredible. And he led the way to Iowa's 24th national championship, Scott. Um, got, Iowa got back to the top of the mountain, which it would have done last year had it not had the nationals not been uh, canceled because of COVID. Um, if there was any disappointment this weekend, and it's because the bar is so high um, that people expect to have, uh, you know, you have three finalists and one comes away with a national championship. Uh, Jaden Ironman, Michael Kemmerer did not complete it. They finished second at their weights. Um, uh, disappointing uh, for them individually. I think it was disappointing that Iowa wasn't even more dominant. But a national championship's a national championship. And uh, that overall, you looked at the depth, you know, Austin DeSanto coming back for third, 
Uh, I think Cassiope got third, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Jacob Warner yeah. was fourth. Uh, just a lot of good performances, even though they didn't make, even though they weren't champions. Mm-hmm. If there was any guy that I was most disappointed for, and, and this isn't a slight on, on on any of the other guys, it was Michael Kemmerer because of what he's meant to this program um, and how close he came again to to st- you know getting to the top of the mountain. Yeah, he, you know, him and Alex Marinelli uh, to lose, you know, that, you know, all three of those losses by the first, by the number one seeded guys um, all came in, in overtime. Yeah. That was really hard to watch. I mean, Ironman, you know, he's, he's a transfer. He's not like Cameron who's been here six years and could potentially be here seven. Yeah. Um, you wanted that for him because he's been such a, vital part of this program same thing with Alex Marinelli you know in the quarterfinals till I thought he had a takedown right at the end of the of regulation close yeah it was and close. then and then didn't get it well that happens and then to get taken down and, and then he you know retired medically for the rest of the tournament which tells you how much he was fighting through just to make it that far and mm-hmm. um and th- that's the tough thing about you know sometimes it's you know in a, in a team sport you know, if you're Luca Garza, it's not an individual sport. So what you did doesn't really, you know, it still didn't matter if you won or lost. However, in an individual sport, it is so lonely to lose because you've, and, and for wrestlers to put that much into it and then fall short in overtime, you know, by a, just a, a freak takedown or whatever, that's just very, very difficult to accept. So I think once they get kind of, past the morning stage that I think they can kind of work ahead. And this team's going to be loaded again next year. I mean, but it's going to come down to Penn state and Iowa again. And um, I think Iowa is a little bit better, but you can't underestimate Penn state. So it should be a, it should be a great, great duel. And I actually think Iowa should have another grid uh, grapple on the gridiron this year. Yeah, why not? And after missing out on fans this past year, that would be awesome. Um, as you alluded to, Scott, Jer- uh, Jaden Ironman has announced he's coming back. Alex Marinelli has announced he's coming back. Spencer Lee has already announced he's coming back. Um, we're still waiting on Michael. DeSanto has said he's coming back. Kemmerer is still undecided. Um, we'll see what happens with him. Um, I heard Tom Brands on uh, KGYM yesterday saying that they're still kind of weighing things and, and, you know, discussing whether or not um, Michael will come back. Um, but as you said, at, at any, you know, if he does or doesn't come back, Iowa's going to be loaded. Penn State, I think, had showed showed some a little glimpse into the future of their rebuild, quote-unquote, reload, mm-hmm. um, with the champions they had in, at Nationals this year. You know they've got good guys in that room that are going to emerge next year. So I, I expect the, the competition and the battle to be a little bit even, a little bit closer next year. Sure. I mean, they were able to beat Iowa head to head in those two do du- in those two matches. Yep. They didn't wrestle in any duels because of the Iowa's COVID situation next year. I mean, they're not considered permanent opponents in wrestling. They only, you only get one. And for Iowa, that's Minnesota. Um, the league would be a would be exceedingly dumb if they didn't put these two teams together. And they've done they've done that in the past where they just do this, you know, normal rotation. And this is the one sport where you don't yes. line up your best teams. Make sure that it's Friday night or whatever. You you let them go and shoot. 
wouldn't it be, I mean, maybe you don't want to do it in the grapple on the gridiron or something like that, but man, it would, you know, if you want to, if you want to build that up, what, what about the Friday night before, before a football game, you know, like November 13th or 12th, you know, Friday the 13th at Carver (laughs) Hawkeye arena, Iowa versus Penn state wrestling. Um, I mean, not Carver, Kinnick stadium. But then again, if you're Penn state, you'd say, we don't want to do that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we're not going to help you, you know, have an, have an attendance record. Yeah, because then then they'd expect Iowa to do the same. And you think Tom Brands would say, yeah, sure, we'll go out to <laughs> Beaver Stadium and help you beat our record? No. So, so it might be Oklahoma State. It might be Iowa State. And heck, Minnesota's that weekend for football again. Maybe it's Minnesota, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, you and I would be great. But, yeah. You know, they're not a bad program. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, I will be up there again vying for a national championship next year. We'll see what happens with Michael Kemmer. We'll see if uh, if uh, Spencer Lee uh, secures his second straight Hodge trophy. Um, that, uh, that voting is going on. Fan voting is going on right now. You can find that on the interwebs to get your vote in. Um, kind of see how the Olympic trials go. So wrestling will stay in our consciousness here uh, going in through the spring and summer with the Olympics as well. So look forward to that. Scott, let's wrap up with some pro day uh, talk. Iowa had its pro day on Monday. Um, I was asked who I felt helped himself the most uh, in my uh, mailbag podcast. Um, I think a case can be made for Chauncey Golston, and, I, and you wrote a nice piece on him that people can read at The Athletic. For me, it was Nick Neiman. Um, yeah. That just, to me, I think he was a lesser known than Chauncey and some of the other guys, and I think he solidified what you and I both have talked about and what we knew and what Seth Wallace said after Ben was leaving, that Nick was a better athlete than Ben um, and caught some yeah. crap for that. But he is. I mean, 445 at 6'3", 235, I mean, that's, that's NFL caliber. That puts you right on the field. That, that means somebody's going to take a, you know, pay you to play because he's, he's going to be just like Ben, but just a little bit more athletic. And yeah. people know what Ben can do. And Ben has been a very – good four level special teamer and sub package linebacker. And he's played a lot of snaps per game, you know, in the 30 range in the last couple of years. And Nick Demon could do the same thing. I mean, his, his shuttle time. Yeah. He, be, he beat everybody in the 20 yard shuttle, including Amir Smith Marset. Um, you know, his three cone was, was among the best of the last couple of years, regardless of position. You know, he put up 19 on the bench. That's good for a linebacker that size. I think he put himself in that position of instead of, you know, a bunch of teams calling him after the draft, you know, Ben was pretty locked in on Kansas city. They, they really wanted him, but I think there's going to be somebody who's going to draft him and you'd be a fool not to, because if you're a team that's cash strapped or cap strapped like uh, new Orleans or Detroit or Philadelphia, and you've got a late round pick, you know that he's going to make your team and he's going to be a cheap option and he's going to play hard and play well. It's, you know, I think somebody like, uh, oh, Brandon Smith might be in a different boat where you're kind of projecting him, you know, wow, what a great athlete. The, the statistics don't quite measure up, but we think he can be a good one. That's different. Nick Neiman's a known quantity. You know what you're going to get. And if you want somebody who can make your team do it cheap and play hard and play well, oh, man, he, just, he made himself some money and some, you know, really uh, some 
uh, security, I think. Yeah, and he's he's got tape showing him playing multiple linebacker positions at Iowa. So he's got that versatility too. And we've talked about it before, Scott, that ability to help a team that only – you only have 53 players on the roster. If you have a guy that can help you in, you know, special teams – you know, four-way special teams player, multiple line, backup at multiple linebacker positions. I mean, that's a no-brainer to me that you you add somebody like that to your salary cap. I mean, there's really no yeah. downside here. There isn't. And, uh, you know, he's the type of player that New England has won with over the years. You know, of course, mm-hmm. they had number 12 for all those years. That was the reason why. But, but they've won because of guys like a Nick Neiman, where not only could he do that, but – I, I even brought it up to him. I'm like, man, why don't you play the other, you know, if you ask, has anybody asked you to play the other side of the ball, be a tight end? Mm-hmm. Cause he was going to be, a, you know, he's got wide receiver build and he could bulk up a little bit. And he's got great speed, you know, be a tight end. But um, if you're new England, okay. You know, maybe make him a goal line tight end, you know, maybe even the motion back or something mm-hmm. like that along with, you know, playing, you know, like out of a 10 series, you know, playing four snaps plus all the other uh, special teams. So I think he's, he did a remarkable job. Chauncey Golston, as you said, um, he really wowed some people down at the senior bowl because he went down there and played D tackle instead of uh, DN. And it really showed his versatility and it showed his toughness and willingness to do what teams want him to do. Um, he did, he had a great year at Iowa. He had a great career at Iowa, but now he's to the point of, you know, if you're, again, a team that's that's probably more 4-3 base, even though everybody moves around, you could say, okay, on first down he could play like he did at Iowa, left defensive end. Then he could move inside on pass rush situations. Um, you know, I talked to his agent a little bit, and he was like, yeah, I've had some teams actually asking me about outside linebacker for him. So um, he, he did great. And, and I, I would say the wide receivers also had, you know, a really good combine or – pro day as well so um sean buyer had a really good pro day um you know had some good times and and i think he's kind of going to benefit from the iowa label where teams are going to look at him and say we, we don't have a lot of tight ends in the nfl and he can play it and if you know i i see it with the bears every year practically that they by the end of the season they get to their free agent guys you know they're the guys he just picked up off the street well sean buyer's better than they are so I, I think he and Nick Neiman have now put themselves in draft positions. Um, Alaric is no longer a vegetarian, Scott. Um, vegetarians everywhere are disappointed in his decision, um, but I don't think NFL teams are disappointed. Um, I thought at times this season uh, he didn't look as strong as he had in previous seasons. He looked more mobile. And I think that's good. I think for Alaric, it's, it's a matter of finding that balance between the strength and, and uh, mobility. And uh, he's an NFL player to me. Um, I don't know how much he was going to help himself on pro day anyway. People have four years of tape on him playing left tackle at Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of, uh, you know, what, what team wants to take the chance on. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, he's played left tackle at Iowa, so he's played a uh, premier position at a high level, a really good level most of his career uh, for a long time. And so there is that tape. They, he knows what he's doing. He can line up in a zone blocking scheme like Iowa operates, and he knows which, where to step. He knows where to put lace his hands. He knows how to drive people. So you're not getting 
somebody's starting at square one, you got to teach them all these things. And that's what Iowa does so well at the next level. And I think with, in his case, he's probably more of an interior player. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of been proven, even though he's got, you know, a defensive tackle or offensive tackle possibilities. But I think early in his career, it's going to behoove him to be bigger and more physical inside and not have to face premier pass rushers because mm-hmm. he did struggle with those. I remember, you know, Shaka Tony from um, Penn state and guys like, and you're going to face way better. You know, I mean, I, I wouldn't have wanted to see him go up against like a chase young or somebody like that. Right. So um, I think he's probably a guard starting out, but maybe by year two or three, he kicks outside. And um, you know, another guy that, I don't know if he'll get drafted. I probably don't think so, but I think he's a guy that helped himself and also put himself in a position to where he's, uh, he's, he's got some abilities to make it on a team as Cole Banward. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the same situation, I guess, with, uh, you know, with Alaric is, you know, he's played a long time in a good system and he understands it. So they don't have to come in on, in, mini camp and say okay we want you to place your foot here and here and do this you know they may have some tweaks but it's something he can pick up right away and he's a big physical player he just a little bit under 300 pounds but that's okay you know he's on six three and a half so you know he's just gonna have to pick up center as a as a possibility going forward but Golston's arms were just gigantic I mean, his wingspan is just incredible. It's one of the top I, – I measured him against the uh, top, uh, what, eight of – or he was like in the top eight if he would have been in last year's combine. So I think he's soaring up the boards. I, I think somebody's going to take him at the end of three or beginning of four. Because I just think he's too good to pass up. And and then you got the culture part of it. I mean, he because he's going to walk in first day and – you're not going to have to, you know, you're not going to worry that he's going to go out and spend his signing bonus on a car. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, a, a lot of players do that, but I don't think that'll be the case with him. And teams will do their homework on, on Chauncey. He was a little overshadowed here, you know, mm-hmm. back up when it's Anthony Nelson and AJ and uh, Parker Hesse. He's like the fourth guy there. He's kind of playing inside some, then playing outside. Okay. Anthony Nelson and Hesse, he move on. Okay, but A.J. Epinesa is a freak, and that's where mm-hmm. the intention goes. Okay, well, the next year, Chauncey will be the guy. He's the guy coming back. Oh, here's Davion Nixon. You know, yeah. So every year he seemed to get overshadowed, uh, but NFL teams do their homework. And he's, you, we, we that follow, the, those of us that follow the team, fans, media, we know how good Chauncey Goldston could be. He has it on tape. He backed it up with a pro day. He'll back it up even farther and probably has been in Zoom interviews with teams when they get to know him, as Scott mm-hmm. said, from a personality standpoint, a character standpoint. I, I think the kid has a, has, a, has a bright future at the next level and will make some money. He, you know, I, a lot of times during this process, I start to identify which player should go to what team for a lot of different reasons. And I follow the NFL probably way too closely. And I look at him and I'm like, if I'm the Detroit Lions GM, and you're basically starting over again because mm-hmm. you had a really bad couple of years you're, and you're Brad Holmes and you're like, we, we want to get a cultural change here. We, and that's what he has said that. Why not go with somebody like Col- Chauncey Golston, who's a Detroit native, 
who you know is going to represent you in every single way possible. He's going to be a great addition to the locker room. He's going to go out and play hard and play well. And, you know, whether he starts or he's a rotational guy to start his career, but he's probably a guy that's going to play 10 years. He's got that kind of ability if he's healthy. Uh, you need those players. You need those, you know, because then you could take a little bit more risks on the high-end talent guys. And if they pay off, then you've got your superstars. But if you don't, well, you still have the, you know, the the foundation of a great roster. So if I'm, you know, if I'm the Lions, I, I think he's a no-brainer for me. And I think NFL teams do not do this. And But if it was me being a GM, I think you take a character guy like that higher than you would lower. Mm-hmm. Most of the time they take them lower, but I would say take them higher, you know, get a chance to get that guy in your system and, and uh, infect your team in a positive way. Uh, we're going to get close here. Scott's got to get out of here for a meeting with the athletic, but one more guy I want to touch on real quick here, Scott. Um, and we all know kind of how running backs have been devalued over the years in the NFL. Um, I wonder about a guy like Makai Sargent. You talk about a character guy, just a solid skill set. Nothing I don't think that would, you know, is off the charts from a skill set standpoint. But he seems like a guy that in the right situation could stick in the league. I didn't hear much about him from Pro Day. No, he didn't have, you know, he didn't appear in any of the, the interviews. And, and a lot of times the, the interviews are now more dictated, at least this year, by the NFL mm-hmm. because the NFL reporters were on there as well. And, and uh, you know, but he, he hit a, a sub 1-5 in the 10-yard dash, which is really most important, and then a 4-6, 240. So he did, you know, he had great times. Um, you know, he showed good strength. He was 208 and hit 18 on the bench. So, I don't expect him to probably get drafted. Right. But I also think it happens all the time with running backs that they get chewed up, spit out, they get old quick, that he, he'll probably get signed. He'll probably go to camp. He'll probably get cut. Then he'll get brought back to a practice team. And then by November, he's healthy. He doesn't have any dings to his legs. And then he'll insert in somebody's lineup and they'll go, wow, this guy's really good. <laughs> so, and you I, know this better than me teams tend to have a tendency to cut if they're looking to cut corners or, or, or maybe save with the salary cap, it's in those backup running positions. A lot of times they cycle through the veterans and then just bring younger guys in that way. Is it, I have that accurate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you're a team that's kind of on the, on the tough line for the, for pay um, and you've got Adrian Peterson today, not 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but Adrian Peterson today, and he's going to cost you 4 million or Makai Sargent is going to cost you less than one. And you've got to try to make that selection. You're going to go with the, the cheaper guy. And running backs, you know, they you hate to say it, but they're kind of a dime a dozen. And, uh, and Makai Sargent's physical. He understands how to run the football. Um, and he's a guy that you can throw out there in cold weather. And he's, you know, and maybe it's just 10 carries a game. Maybe it's five, whatever. But he's, he's the type of guy that you – want because yeah as you mentioned running backs get old fast look at Todd Gurley you yeah. know he went from being great to where did he go yeah. um, Adrian Peterson's kind of the the exception to the rule on that or Frank Gore yeah <laughs> right yeah but uh, no I, I think he'll get signed I, I think Iowa's gonna end up you know, I, I always gauge this high just because I, I think it's more fun to do that but I think mm-hmm. Iowa could have seven guys drafted which would be 
higher than any other year under Kirk. Um, I, I look for Davion Nixon number, you know, to be a, probably a second rounder. Uh, Golston, I look for Smith Marset to probably be the third. Him and Alaric Jackson probably third or fourth in some order. Um, I think Bayer and Neiman and Brandon Smith are probably borderline, um, but. I think somebody takes a chance on those guys. And then you look beyond that, you know, Jack Heflin will get signed to a practice or get signed to a roster. But I think Cole Banwert will, Keith Duncan will, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, same thing goes with Makai Sargent. It's, it's going to be, um, you know, they had five other guys work out the other day that were from the, the previous year. And Amani Jones uh, worked out as a linebacker. And I always thought, man, just go to fullback. I know. You'd be a killer fullback, right? You know? It's never too late. No, I know. <laughs> I, I, my guess is now <laughs> that uh, if somebody asked him to to carry the water out on the field and play fullback, he'd probably do that. But no question. Yeah. yeah. All right, Scott. I know you got to go. I want to give you a little bit more, a little bit of time here before you got to hop on your next uh, meeting. Um, appreciate your time. We're going to talk a lot more about the NFL draft moving forward as we get closer. We'll have Scott talk about good fits for where these guys may end up and all good stuff like that. Once we uh, we move forward here, spring football starts next week. We'll have a couple press conferences press conferences under our belt before we talk again for the Hotspot Podcast. So um, we'll know what's going on with women's basketball. Maybe we'll get a little bit more information on men's basketball. Never a slow day or a dull moment here uh, covering Iowa athletics. So thank you guys for listening. Um, Thanks for uh, uh, if, if you could like our podcast, all those things that people tell you when you listen to a podcast, subscribe, like, hit the button, smash the button, whatever they, whatever the kids say, do that for us. We'd appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. And we'll talk to you again next week. Scott, say goodbye. Bye, Scott.